Welcome to Candidates Corner, a political podcast created by university students and brought to you by VoteUSA.org. VoteUSA is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that provides information on candidates across the country for voters before they go to polls on Election Day. This summer, we will be discussing the issues facing states and jurisdictions across the country. Each episode, we will be interviewing a candidate on the campaign trail seeking a win in their primary elections. Any opinions and statements expressed by the candidates are their own and do not reflect the views or beliefs of Vote USA. I'm Sam Andrus. Welcome to Candidates Corner. The city of Miami, Florida is electing its next mayor on Tuesday, November 2nd. Republican incumbent Francis Suarez was last elected in 2017 with 86% of the vote. Some of the issues facing the next mayor will be preparedness for hurricanes, affordable housing for working class families, who pay the largest share of their income on rent in the entire United States, expediting road projects and improving transportation, as well as an increasing population that could put serious stress on Miami's infrastructure. Max Martinez is the son of an immigrant father from Spain and a mother from New York. He played football at Cornell while also getting a BA in government, and while in college, he also sold his first company and started a nonprofit. Max is now running for mayor of Miami. Welcome back to Candidates Corner. I'm your host, Sam Andrus. Today, I'm joined by candidate for mayor of Miami, Florida, Max Martinez. Welcome, Max. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. Of course. So the question I want to start off with is, why are you running for mayor of Miami? I believe the city of Miami needs new focused priorities. Um, We are going to be ground zero for the climate crisis. Um, We are ground zero. We're experiencing it. We are dealing with a a housing crisis where residents are just continuously getting pushed out. And this, to put that into a broader perspective, that that's one issue of just climate gentrification. That's, that's the broader issue here. But then also because the city of Miami needs a ceremonial mayor that's going to help people. And right now, What you have is a mayor that is saying he is running to create the capital of capital. And in a city of 23.4% living in poverty, I really think that they need someone who's going to champion their best interests. And why would you continue um, a family continued business of 36 years instead of voting for something new and someone who's been fighting for a year to gain your support and learn your problems. Um, I kind of got carried away with that one, but I always answer it differently. Uh, but because, you know, it needs a new face. It needs a face of, of someone who's going to fight for everyone. And just a little minor example here. Um, I'll be releasing a video either today or tomorrow about, you know, what's going on in Haiti. I mean, what just happened with the Haitian immigrants? You know, it's, it's one of those things where, Miami, Haitians, our Haitian community knows about that more than any other community in the United States and, and what the double standard is. And, and oof, that, that's something. But yeah, and it, it all, I was, I was triggered by Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and realizing like how deep injustice was and who really stood for it. And I believe that. My opponent stands for profits, and I stand for people. And I really am trying to do that by showing that I can beat him with people through against profit. Definitely. Thank you. 
You mentioned the, the housing crisis, and your plan to tackle that involves the, the development of co-ops where the members of a community would all buy shares of the community and then vote to determine rules and management. Could you speak a little more on that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, co-ops, I've gotten to know a ton about them through Catalyst Miami and a lot of other cool organizations engage, you know. Um, I really believe that they are a major, major, major solution for the future of the affordable housing crisis going forward. Um, property is not scarce. Let's, let's, let's be clear about that. And to, to start just talking about co-ops, you know, you have to give kind of the context of what we're in here. We are in a city of controlled by real estate developers executing their climate gentrification plan. The displacements are happening left and right in every single neighborhood. Um, first of all, we need to make sure that there is no property that's empty. <clears throat> we need to make sure that land's being developed. On. Well, with what we're dealing with down here, you have a, a monarchy and they are oppressing their agenda on so many innocent people. And you can see that in the wealth gap. In the wealth gap, there is no middle class. There is no middle class. You're either here to be poor or serve rich people or, or, or be the rich people. You know, it, there's just such a dynamic difference. And we have, we can't leave tons of land empty in the black communities for so many years and then take it away from them? No, that's not happening. Like, I'm not gonna let that happen. And the way I'm proposing we go about it and raise the money to do all this is through a vacancy tax. Because right now, empty land is just out there, not getting taxed by the city, not getting any money made for the city. Why? Why? Like, why, why, why would you let that? Unless you're intentionally doing it. And that's how I feel about the whole situation. And that's why I feel like someone really needs to come come in and combat this crisis. As for the co-ops, co-ops would be great because with that land and with how many people need housing and how many people are getting displaced, well, we need to get people to buy into the community and most importantly, build roots. And the people that are getting pushed out the fastest is the black neighborhoods, the Jim Crow area. They were segregated as far away from the beach as possible. We need to work on protecting their communities and not letting them get pushed out by building roots. And yeah, one property is a cooperative, but people buy into that cooperative. That's no different than a homeowner buying a home in a neighborhood and that neighborhood had to approve that sale through the homeowners association. It's the same exact thing, your cooperative unit. And when it comes to the business and economic side of things, that's where we really can grow out of. We need to grow out of agriculture. We need to be able to produce locally. We, we can just, just like, you know, shipping, shipping fruit does so much damage to the environment and people don't even like think about that kind of stuff when we could just be growing it here. And feeding those 23.4% people that are living in poverty out of 490,000 people. You see what I'm saying, man? That's over 100,000 people in poverty down here. That's a lot of people. But when you're told about Miami, you're only shown the skyline. 
You're never shown what's behind that skyline. You're never shown that. And I'm shining a light on that by coming into this election and saying 21,852 votes out of 230,000 eligible voters is not going to be enough this year. I'm coming for a higher number and I'm going to activate people to vote by actually talking about issues that matter to them. And when it comes to affordable housing and cooperatives, hey, it's a better idea than what's been happening. On his website, which just came out last week, it said he's creating 2,300 units. 2,300, huh? That's definitely like already in the negatives considering how many he's displaced. You know, it's like it doesn't even add up. It doesn't make sense. It's all to just satisfy condo building incentives. And if we continue going along like those condo tied incentives, the same, can I say bad words here or what? Okay. The same shit is just going to keep happening over and over again, you know, and (laughs) there's not, they are taking advantage of this cycle. They are looking at neglecting the environment to take that land away. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like they're fighting a battle from the outside to keep these sharks from coming in, like literally from coming in, both literally and figuratively. Um, and that's that's basically where the idea of cooperatives, and I, I've continued to learn about them, research them, and I talk to all the experts down here. And trust me, a lot of people are, are down with cooperatives. Definitely. And when you say he and they, are you referring to uh, your opponent, uh, incumbent Francis Suarez? Absolutely. Because what, who's created, who's the son of the first Cuban mayor who's been given the keys to 36 years of power and relationships? Without a doubt, I'm referring to Francis Suarez. And I feel like he's been given everything. And I'm going to earn it because I'm not the mayor's son. I've had to do everything to get here. I built my own campaign. I got myself here. Has he ever knocked on a door and told someone, hi, I'm running for mayor of the city of Miami? I doubt it. I doubt it. And do you know how, do you know, do you know how hard it is to do that? You know how many times I've been humiliated, laughed at, oh, friend of the family, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to win. Like, why are you even doing this? Like, that's my whole point. Why are you saying that? Why are you saying that? Because you who are calling it 86% aren't calling it what it actually is. It is low voter turnout. And what is that due to? Consistent oppression and no belief in your local government because they've never come through on anything for you. Think about it. We are a city that was built on railroad tracks. That's why it's called Flagler Street. And we don't have public transportation down. Like, how do you go backwards? How do you go backwards? And that's the worst part about the whole situation in Miami is that they're not going to move on public transportation purposely, purposely, because those working class neighborhoods are the ones that use it. And the more you can oppress them and the worse you can make life for them, well, the more you can take away from them. Definitely. You, uh, let's talk about more about your the transportation issues in Miami. Uh, you said in your website that your plan is to institute a light rail and bus integration for reliable public transportation. I'm wondering where the money for that project will come from, especially with the, the co-op projects as well. This is a crazy thing, but there's $10 million in unused funds right now from 
the city of Miami's penny tax just sitting there. I mean, from the Miami-Dade County penny tax, the city of Miami, there's $10 million in that account right now. Just There's just $10 million sitting there. With all the problems we have, that that should be a zero, right? That it, you should be using all of that money to fix all of these problems. And what that comes down to as well, like bear in mind, like it's bigger than just transportation, vehicles and everything. Curb, like there, there's been promised money everywhere for curb flooding. It's where's all this money going? If people aren't seeing improvements, where is this money going? But with that $10 million, you can start to do things like buy more of these bus trolleys that, you know, they think are innovative, but you, you invest in an electric fleet and you do everything you can to create routes that are, are just perfectly in conjunction with county transit and baboom people can move around it's it's something that needs to be done here because there's a thing called miami time and what that means is that you can just openly be disrespectful and late somewhere and blame it on traffic blame it on public transportation because that's an understood issue that can't be solved and what that to me says is that's a reputation of being incompetent, openly disrespectful, and the people are just so defeated. For me, it is so important to accomplish public transportation because it really sets a standard that your government has it together. They're going to make sure that things are in order for you to be able to get to one place, to another, and you can hold them accountable to that. They're going to do everything they can. To make you and how does this help like Miami's homeowners and stuff? Um, a, a ton, you know, it's one of those things where there won't be as much traffic through your neighborhoods. You know, people will actually use public transportation if they know it's available to them. And I, I, I really think it needs to set a new culture of responsibility and and, and progressive think like. The environment is the number one issue at the end of all of this. We just we're in the middle of building an eight hundred million dollar highway. There's going to be more cars if you're going to keep inviting people and you don't have public transportation. There's no there's not even a toll for yachts when they split the city in half and the bridges go up. And you don't think that's going to affect public transit? Public transportation, rider transportation, driver transportation, bicycle transportation, and the fact that there's a lack of those things, of bike transportation, you have to take that money and make minor improvements because you can't continue to neglect issues and ever expect to just use some one big project to be able to fix all of them. You need to continuously be at it and be very hands-on because the only reason we're at this point is because these issues were neglected at some other point. And unfortunately, you see the Surfside tragedy. That's what happens when you neglect things. That's just what happens when you neglect things. And climate catastrophe, is a, 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 it's a worry. It's a worry because they're going to happen. They're going to happen. And the best thing that we can do is prepare to be a functioning, you know, environmentally caring society that can 
after the chaos of something like that, be able to come back together and get back into motion. You know, it's not like we're everyone's going to be driving around broken down lamps and trees and stuff. We have to have public transportation and we have to have it to be able to include West of Biscayne Boulevard. We need to be able to make sure that if we bring businesses there, people have a way to go there and that they feel comfortable going in there and that everyone routinely uses. And that all goes into the co-op. These are cooperative type jobs. You know, we're talking about driving people places, but instead of letting Uber do that, why are you letting them take your money? Why are you letting Lyft take your money when it comes to scooters? When you know you guys could you guys could invest in your own as a cooperative, and, and really we could we could change. That's the innovation that I want to bring out in Miami. Is how do you deal with a climate crisis and poverty and fix it without screwing people over and really building a community that stays and thrives forever and. It all goes back to the environment. I just took a public transportation question back to the environment because it always works like that. It'll happen like that with race. It'll happen like that with affordable housing. It'll happen like that with absolutely every issue you talk to me about in the city of Miami. And the fact that we're just not prepared for the environmental crisis that we lack, like the zoning, the infrastructure, the the mitigation tactics right now, it's... It's beyond me. And I'm the other candidate. Uh, it's the unfortunate scenario because when you're going against such a big name, but the environment is the key to every other issue. And if you build around it, the economy will build, the community will be put together, but you need to build the community around what the people in that community need to bring the proper type of business there and you need to be able to get those people there and they all still need to be there. So yeah, we need to build public transportation. That's not only reliable, but to be able to open local new businesses, new local businesses in different communities and include those people and be able to have jobs for everyone in the community to thrive and places for everyone to live. Definitely. It really all depends on the environment. And speaking about climate change and the environment, it's almost irreversible level at this point. What do you think that the damage will be to the city of Miami within the next four years? In the next four years? Or just in general? I mean, so Atlantic hurricane season just started. I mean, and I say that just started because it's only been a month in. It's like, you always have to prepare for the, like, you just saw what happened in, in Louisiana. You, you've seen what's been happening. It's been happening everywhere now. It's not just Miami anymore. But do you, do people in Miami really want to become the victim? Do they, do they want to be help Miami? You know, it, it's one of those things where think about that. You don't want to become that victim, but it is a very likely reality in terms of, we're going to have to fight that at some point. We're going to have to fight like big, big storms, destroying a lot of things. And that's why what, that's what I mentioned before about infrastructure and mitigation tactics. We need to start planting mangroves to be able to absorb the force of these winds and absorb everything that comes with it. 
And homeowners, remember this, if you're a homeowner in the city of Miami and you're listening to me, the reason environmental crisis mitigation tactics are so important to you is because it's going to stop a lot of flooding. And flooding is what brings your insurance prices through the roof. And it's only going to get higher as the climate crisis gets worse. And if you really want to bring, make this the crypto capital like you say you want to make it, there's a lot of e-waste and energy that comes with crypto. A one Bitcoin transaction is the equivalent of 100,000 Visa transactions. I'm, just, I'm not even giving a plug out there for Visa I'm just stating, uh, you know, a Cambridge 2019 study um, that I literally haven't memorized. But my point is, is, yeah, we have to be prepared. We have to absolutely make sure that everyone is protected, including the homeless people. I will immediately build homeless shelters in office with my own bare hands and concrete. If I have to, like whoever wants to help me, community philanthropy, but the, the homelessness crisis down here is incredible, and now they're expunging um, homeless camps, camps and, and blowing these people out, like, in, in one of the most dangerous areas to live in right now at this time in the world with COVID going on, lack of homeless shelters, people are, are, are being displaced, let out of jail, bad things are happening, jobs, crisis, people are literally sleeping on the streets and tents, and and the city of Miami really has the gall to say, you're not important. We're going to exterminate all of you. I That sickens me. And we can't let things like that to continue to happen because this is a humanitarian crisis. And what I'm fighting is, is real oppression. It's not only oppression through wealth. It's it's racism. It's elitism. It's nepotism. It's, it's everything you can never imagine that's bad against people. And, and, and that is just so, it, it's sad. And honestly, I don't hear many happy stories. I, I just don't, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to smile a lot because people don't really understand what the struggle is down here in Miami and, and what the real people of Miami, not, not real, but, you know, really, really, really entrenched in the community are losing and dealing with it's 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 terrible definitely so <clears throat> in order to combat that oppression you said on your website that you wanted to create environments of peace could you elaborate a little bit more on what that is and how you would go about doing that what do you consider an environment of peace um i guess you could say something like the co-op somewhere where people uh take care of each other in their community i mean yeah but what else what other environments of peace are there like there, there are other peaceful environments, like you know, like libraries and parks. But you got to reimagine things for Miami and for the future. You don't continue to invest in libraries and, and, and just fill them with tons of books and make them dark. You got to invest in community workspaces, like the we, the public we work. You get what I'm saying? Where. People can go, they can sign up, have access to resources, you know, and, and we can partner with these companies that are coming in like Spotify and create PPPs that, you know, allow like people that live in that community to be able to have access to crazy resources that, you know, they never thought possible. Um, 
and, and then on the other side of things is with those PPPs and everything like that. Um, there's the sports end of things. And, um, I, I really, really believe that, you know, we can take the best athletes in the world and, and, and give them a, a platform. It, it to me, it's just, um, let me think about this real quick. Let me just think about this real quick because environments of peace is just such, it's, it's such a broad term that, you need you need to reimagine it as what is the future of the and and for sports it's why in 50 years like miami's been around and sports leagues have been around are there no indoor facilities like how how don't you have indoor tennis courts within the five districts of the city of miami how don't you ha- how do you only have one indoor basketball no wonder everyone is an NFL player. You get it? Because that's the only one that after school, it's free coaching, free, free, busy time, everything structured, boom, you have a path somewhere. That's what we need to do in terms of including those communities and building public environmental environments of peace. Like, don't call it a library anymore. Don't call it a, a gym, a YMCA, a, a, a youth center. Just call it a facility. Like, you know, put a put a cool word on it and, and treat it really nicely. Like everyone in every community deserves great things. And I, I, I just don't understand why that's such a hard concept to grasp because we would have the most pro athletes in the world if we had the facilities and we would how come in such a rich city we don't have any pro golfers pro tennis players pro one basketball player right now Udonis Haslam everyone's in the NFL or they're you know of the baseball you know baseball around my I'm not talking just city of Miami but but in football it's a very specific thing because it's a but although City of Miami has tons of baseball fields everywhere connected to the bu- to the building of Marlin Stadium that could be used for even more things, but that's what I mean by environments of peace. And I'm sorry to get off topic. It's just there's so many politics in the city. It's it really everything really is like a Billy Corbin documentary. But to try to grasp it as one 30 year old person taking it all on, you want to talk about so many things and you want to try to stay positive. And when it comes to an environment of peace, that's that's what I that's what I think is where can you be yourself and where can you become the best version of yourself? And instead of calling them libraries and parks, we call them workspaces and facilities and we build them bigger, better and make them even more accessible and inclusive than before. That's what I mean by an environment of peace. And yeah. Thank you. And don't worry about getting off topic. Uh, I'm here and our viewers are listening to hear what you have to say. So cool. so going back to the climate uh, questions for a second, uh, could you talk a bit more about your City of Miami Civilian Climate Corps and how that would work? So the first thing about the Civilian Climate Corps is I want to give all credit to the Sunrise Movement because that is um, an initiative that 
they have championed and created by Senator um, Markey in Massachusetts um, based off of a, um, a, a, a similar thing in uh, FDR's New Deal. Um, now, what that would be and how I envision that is if you have more people on the street picking up garbage, like on a regular basis, like say one a person walks down a street every three hours, that street is going to have less garbage. What else is that street going to have? Protection. It's going to have eyes. There's always going to be someone out there. With that being said, do are crimes committed when people are around? No, they're not. They're not. And I feel like a climate core, a, a civilian core, it, it, it's bigger than that. It, it, it's bigger than that. And it all, once again, it all goes back to the environment. But it, it's about having a duty to the, and I would love for it to become this unionized job force, like, like, you know, truly envisioned, like, it's just one of those things where in Miami, you deal with so many words in politics that, you know, you say you want to build around the environment, you get called a socialist, but it's a social issue. And we all share the environment. No one's above Earth. It's just the fact of the matter. It's not me playing politics with you. It's me trying to keep you afloat and keep you alive. Um, I really believe that the, and the, when I say younger kids, I'm talking the 18 to, to 29 year olds because I just turned 30. But they feel the climate anxiety. They really feel it. It's like, and, and we, I think we all do these days in terms of, wow, doesn't it feel like the world's going to end tomorrow sometimes? Um, we're going through this pandemic and we're all dealing with it. And for some of us, it's, it's so puzzling as to why someone wouldn't get a vaccine. But to other people, it really doesn't matter to them what you think and what they feel about it. They're just going to continue to be them. But that's life. And that's the way it works. With the Civilian Climate Corps, I don't think there's anything to be debated there. It's like that can, that can be so many things, but that's what I really believe these cooperatives can be great for is because if you have less renters in a community and more buyers and more people that have a stake in it, that the safer that community, you know, because they own it and they want to take care of it. And that's why these cooperatives are a great thing for the community because they would allow for things like this to happen and create their own funding through it, through creating their own businesses. Because remember, they can be nonprofits. They don't have to be. They can be for business. And once marijuana is back on the bill in 2024, hopefully I'm mayor of the city of Miami. I'll be advocating for that because I believe we should be growing it, selling it. And in a place here where the colored community has gotten treated so badly, I would love, I, I wish it was legal right now because that would be the, the money-making industry for them to be able to build the strongest roots you could ever imagine on the border. But it, it's not. And the Civilian Climate Corps right now is, to me, uh, you know, uh, taking care of the community, community and, you know, really, really just 
being aware of all things, being socially conscious almost. Definitely. Um, going back a little bit, you mentioned the stigma around the word socialism uh, in regards to your co-op idea and this civilian climate corps. Um, with Florida's large Cuban-American population, I would imagine that many Miami residents would have had a lot of strong opinions about your plans. Have you experienced a lot of pushback on any of this? Nope. They are all dying for affordable housing. I'm the only one talking about it openly and consistently. They love that I'm thinking about it. And the fact is, it should be the number one issue because it is. It is where people, everyone should have a roof over their head and residents should be getting priced out left and right. And that needs to stop. And I plan on stopping it. And they see that. So, you know what? No, I have not gotten called, called, I'm not even say mentioning about myself, but I have not been the S worded by anyone. So yeah, I no, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> Moving on a little bit. Could you talk about your trauma informed community lens program? Well, that is something that I, I, we all do. We always continue to learn every day more and more about trauma. And like I was telling you earlier, like I, I do plan on shining a light later on tonight or tomorrow about the trauma that Haitians have gone through and really their plight. Well, the trauma of the black community in America is, should now be well documented. Like if it's not, and you weren't there for George Floyd last year, I don't know what rock you were living under. What I mean by trauma informed lens is you need to fix the roots of the problems, which are the results of the system. What I mean by that, the results of the system are the incarcerated, the loved ones of the incarcerated, integrating back into society and doing this thing all do, do, doing this dance that we're doing all over again. Now, who else is involved? There's the victims, there's the victims' families, there's the people who have to, you have to heal trauma to ever be moved on. And we need to look at everything that has happened within the United States and in the world when it comes to race and we need to set the standard. We need to set the standard that racism's not going to be tolerated and trauma will be dealt with. We're talking about a city that has taken thousands of hundreds of thousands of people from Haiti, Cuba, and all of these countries that have dealt with so much trauma. That's what I mean by with a trauma informed lens is understand that someone that you might be dealing with might not be able to speak your language. Understand that they might react differently to you pulling out a gun on them rather than you telling them to just, uh, let's say, not shine a gun at them, but just a different, a different way of doing it. Being informed, trauma-informed, you need to be able to heal it. Uh, I, I get to, I've gotten the opportunity to work with Dr. Armin Henderson from the University of Miami and with Dream Defenders, who had really, really invited me into you know, that community and, and help me understanding it. And I just want to be clear that 
the police down here in the city of Miami right now, the police people ask me all the time, Max, are, do you want to defund the police? Well, I'm going to go about this through a few things. One, last year, the chief of police got hired out of nowhere, wasn't on anyone's list for $315,000 a year. Got called the Michael Jordan of police. On Monday, he's most likely going to get fired because he called Miami run by the Cuban mafia. So when it comes to the police, okay, they already have their own issues going on. When it comes to me defunding it, I don't think a mayor needs two police cars outside of his home at all times. I don't think that city taxpayers should be paying for his bodyguards to Key West. Uh, It's not a question of defunding the police. It's a question of defunding Francis Suarez and the police state of mind that he's creating. Because he skates away with anything because he has police protection and he, uh, he, by openly allowing it and openly accepting it, he represents that. And he represents that oppression. Why do you think I was the only candidate all year? Because no one's willing to deal with that. Do you know how many death threat texts I got? Do you think I like that? Knowing that that's breathing down my neck when it comes to the police here, it's not a question about de- it's not a question about defunding it. It's a question of defunding Francis Suarez and really investing. Because think about how much two police cars in front of your house costs all year long, 365 days a year. Probably a lot of money. Just the cars themselves, like together, are over $100,000. So then imagine police protection on top of that. My point is, is you could free up millions of dollars by just letting that guy go. That's my answer to defund the police. You know, is like, I will find more funds for you by not getting protected all the time. I don't feel the need for that. I haven't hurt anyone. I haven't pissed anyone off. And if I do end up getting shot after that, hey, you know who did it. <laughs> <clears throat> That's awfully awful brave of you uh, saying you don't feel the need for police protection after mentioning that you've been getting death threats. Uh, I don't know how I would deal in that situation personally. Well, it's one of those things that when you're in Miami, you're in the wild, wild west. You know, you, you have to know that you're going to be dealing with characters and people who who are, are easily jealous and they don't want to see you succeed because they want to be complicit to the way everything's going. And that's really why I stepped up as a leader is because enough is enough. And you really you really got to be built different to, to do what I'm doing right now, to knock on over $75,000, 75,000 doors and, you know, believe in yourself when a barrage of media is coming out about the city changing for the better when it's a complete lie and the opposite of your message. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been totally terrible this year and being muzzled by the media and intentionally ignored. Like it's been terrible, but that's how much I'm in it for the people. And it, the, I know that good will be bad. I truly, I truly believe it. Thank you. Well, I've, I've got one last question for you. It's kind of an easy one. What message do you have for the voters of Miami? No more excuses. No more excuses. There's no more. How long have you been pub, promised public transportation? How many times have you been promised affordable housing? How many times have you been promised things 
And how many times have they ever actually happened? How many times have those things benefited you? No more excuses. The time has to be now because people are getting hurt. They're getting pushed out. Almost over 100,000 people live in poverty. And we need to treat people the way that we want to be treated. And I am fighting so hard and through so many things to be here right now. Uh, I'm not asking for your dollars. I'm just asking for you to give me the opportunity to allow you to blame everything on me. Because from here on out, there's going to be a different standard. The bar is going to be a lot higher. And I genuinely want the opportunity to lead you into the future and make sure that your families and generations to come have a beautiful place for them to live and enjoy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was amazing talking to you. Uh, I wish you the best of luck on November 2nd. Thanks a lot. All right, I'm going to end the recording. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. On behalf of Vote USA, we'd like to thank our guests and you for listening. Please be sure to like and subscribe for more episodes of Candidates Corner and be sure to follow us on Twitter with the handle at VoteUSA1. For more information on the candidates running for office in your community, log on to VoteUSA.org. See you next time.